evidence and answers. Confucianism, also known as Ruism, is generally described as a tradition, a philosophy, a religion, a way of governing, or simply a way of life. What do you know about this Chinese philosopher known as Confucius? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat is teaching us about Confucius, the religion, and his philosophy. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran, with part one of his teaching on Confucius. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, one of the most important ideologies that has influenced Asia is the life and teachings of Confucius. If someone wants to understand Eastern cultures, Confucius is a great person to study to understand the values and the thinkings of our brothers and sisters there in Asia. Confucius even has had a very influential part in the life of Christians there in Asia. Many don't know that they have been influenced a lot by Confucian ideologies and teachings. So as I begin to teach on Confucius, perhaps those of you who have grown up in Asian cultures may wonder where some of your innate values seem to have come from or how you have been raised. Well, it's probably based on the teachings of Confucius. So for those of us who spend a lot of time in Asia or minister in Asian cultures, the study of Confucius is a worthwhile study in understanding the cultures of Asia. Of all Eastern philosophers, Confucius, born in 550 BC, is considered the greatest of them all. His teachings are foundational to Asian cultures. His writings, the five classics, the collection of ancient Chinese literature, and the four books, a collection of his and his disciples' teachings, was for centuries the standard curriculum for Chinese education. Confucius' teachings and biography were written many years after his death and were later edited by his disciples. So although historians present various accounts of his life, there are some basic facts that we are reasonably sure of from which we can outline the major events of his life. From what we know, Confucius was born in the province of Lu in northern China. He was born into a family of humble circumstance and his father died at a young age. Well, Confucius began studying under the village tutor and at the age of 15 devoted his life to study. At 20, he married but soon divorced his wife and had an aloof relationship with his son and daughter. In his 20s, he became a teacher and gathered a group of loyal disciples. Confucius lived during the Chu Dynasty, which is from about 1100 BC to about 250 BC, is the time of the Chu Dynasty when Confucius lived. And it's at this time the land was divided among feudal lords. The moral and social order was in a state of decay. And Confucius sought a way to restore cultural and political order to society. He believed that reform would come primarily through the educating of the leaders in the classics and in his philosophy. He therefore sought a political position of influence from which he could implement and teach his principles. Now, tradition teaches that the Duke of Lu appointed him to a cabinet position at the age of 50. 
Several historians believe he eventually ascended to higher positions of public office. But due to political disagreements and internal conflicts, he resigned his post at the age of 55 and left the province of Lu. He then traveled for 13 years from state to state, seeking to persuade political leaders to adopt his teachings. Although many lords respected him, no one gave him a position. Discouraged from the response, he devoted his final years to teaching and writing. And before his death in 479 BC, he expressed his discouragement and disillusionment regarding his career. However, his disciples were able to gain significant positions in government after his death. They modified his teachings and added their own insights, and centuries later, Confucianism became the official religion of China, shaping Chinese culture. The values he espoused, education, family loyalty, work ethic, value of traditions, conformity to traditional standards, the honoring of the ancestors, and unquestioning obedience to superiors remain entrenched in Asian culture. So there is much to appreciate regarding the life and teachings of Confucius. Christians would agree on several points with his philosophy and ethics, his view of government responsibility and social conduct. So these similarities provide bridges upon which we can build meaningful dialogue with those in East Asian cultures. These values make Asian people open to the message of Christ. Now, despite the similarities in ethics, there are some major differences between Christianity and Confucianism that is important to point out. So what I'll do here is highlight these differences and provide ways we can effectively share Christ with those in the Asian cultures. Well, first, let's take a look at the metaphysics of Confucius or his view of the spiritual world or his view of eternity. Confucianism, as its founder Confucius taught, is not a religion in the traditional sense. It is really more of an ethical code. Chinese culture was steeped in the religion of animism at this time, a belief that gods and spirits dwelt in natural formations. And along with an animistic worldview, there was a belief also, a strong belief in ancestor worship, that the spirits of the dead ancestors needed to be honored and cared for by the living family members. However, in his teachings, Confucius avoided spiritual issues. Although he believed in spirits and the supernatural, he did not feel the need to devote extensive efforts in teaching on them. He is what we might consider humanistic and rationalistic in his outlook. His position on matters of faith was this, whatever seemed contrary to common sense in popular tradition and whatever did not serve any discoverable social purpose, he regarded coldly. The answer to the cultural and social problems was found in humanity itself, not in anything supernatural. A disciple of Confucius once wrote, he said this, The master never talked of prodigies, feats of strength, disorders, or spirits. Confucius himself stated this, he said, To devote oneself earnestly to one's duty to humanity while respecting the spirits, his disciple further stated, Our master's view concerning culture and the outward insignia of goodness we are permitted to hear but about man's nature and the ways of heaven he will not tell us anything at all in the confucian system a divine being does not have a significant role his philosophy is man-centered and relies primarily on self-effort 
Man is sufficient to attain the ideal character through education, self-effort, and self-reflection. So Confucius' system articulated the proper conduct in relationships, ceremony, and government. The core problem of mankind, according to Confucius, is that people are not educated and do not know how to conduct themselves properly in their social roles. The chief goal of life, then, is to become educated and to learn and to live a moral life. However, Confucius does acknowledge a supreme power which established the moral order of the universe, which he referred to as the mandate of heaven. The mandate of heaven is also used to refer to fate, events which occur in life, which are beyond the control of the individual. The just rule and the virtuous man lives in accord with this moral order he calls the mandate of heaven. This moral order lies behind Confucius' ethical system. So one must be careful not to violate the will of heaven. Confucius wrote this, He who puts himself in the wrong with heaven has no means of expiation left. Some scholars believe Confucius' uses of the term reveals he was referring at times to a supreme being. Now after his death, Confucianism evolved combining with Chinese traditional religions and Buddhism to add a spiritual component because Confucius was more of a rationalistic ethical system that was void of that spiritual component. Now, in contrast, Christianity is first God-centered. It is built on our relationship with a personal God who is involved in the world, who has given us his commands, which is the foundation of our moral code. Confucius focused exclusively on life here on this earth. Jesus taught from an eternal perspective. Although we live here on this earth, we're to have an eternal perspective. God is the source of life, truth, and the moral law. Therefore, God was central to all that Jesus taught and should be for the life of the Christian as well. Jesus taught us, therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So Jesus taught to focus on God and the kingdom of God and the teachings of God's moral law. Jesus taught that when our relationship and focus is first on God, then we will know how to live here on earth. For Jesus, what happens in eternity has ramifications for life here on earth and that our life here on earth prepares us indeed for eternity. Therefore, a Christian lives here on earth according to God's commands, but does not focus exclusively on our earthly existence. We also should have an eternal perspective, knowing our time here is temporary and short, and one day we will stand before our Maker to give an account of our lives here on this earth. Our ultimate reward is eternal, and we should have our eyes fixed ultimately on eternity. In Matthew 6:19, Jesus said, Do not store yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves Treasures in heaven where moth rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Paul wrote that our citizenship is in heaven. So a disciple of Christ lives with an eternal perspective. So we value our life here on earth. And all that we do, we know that our time here is temporary. And ultimately, we will spend eternity either with God or eternally separated from Him. So as we live... We live our lives in obedience to God's command. God is the author of life. 
He knows how, therefore, to live in his created order, in his creation. God knows how to live. So the basis of the moral law and the commands of how to live on this life are built and are a reflection of the character of God. So we live focused on God's command, looking forward to our eternal home. So here we see a difference in the perspectives of Jesus and Confucius. So that is a brief look at the metaphysics of Confucius as compared to what Jesus taught. Now let's take a look at the ethics of Confucius, the moral code of Confucius, and how they compare with what Jesus taught. Well, Confucius taught three key principles that are emphasized in his teachings. The principle of Li, the principle of Jen, and the principle of Chun Tzu. The term Li has several meanings, often translated propriety, reverence, courtesy, ritual, or the ideal standard of conduct. Is what Confucius believed to be the ideal standard of religious, moral, and social conduct. The second key conduct is the principle of Jen. It is fundamental virtue of the Confucius teachings. Jen is the virtue of goodness and benevolence. It is expressed through recognition of value and concern in others, no matter what their rank or class may be. In the Analects, Confucius summarizes the principle of Jen in his statement often called the Silver Rule. And it's this, do not do to others what you would not like them to do to you. Lee provides the structure for social interaction. Jen makes it a moral system. The third concept is Chun Tzu, the idea of the true gentleman. It is the man who lives the highest ethical standards. The gentleman displays five virtues, self-respect, generosity, sincerity, persistence, and benevolence. His relationships are described as the following. As a son, he is always loyal. As a father, he is just and kind. As an official, he is loyal and faithful. As a husband, he is righteous and just. And as a friend, he is faithful and tactful. If all men would live by the principles of Li and Jen and strive to the character of the true gentleman, Confucius believed justice and harmony would rule the empire. However, Confucius faced reality honestly. He questioned if it was possible ever to truly attain the level of the true gentleman and to live out these principles. Confucius stated, I, for my part, have never seen one who really cared for goodness nor one who really abhorred wickedness. Now, the Christian would find himself in agreement with many of Confucius' ethical principles and virtues. The Christian would also agree with many of the character qualities of the true gentleman and seek to develop those qualities. Well, what accounts for the similarity in ethics and values in Confucianism and other religious systems? Paul describes this in Romans chapter 2, that within every man there exists a God-given moral conscience or natural law that guides our moral conduct. This is because we are created in the image of God, and so we reflect the character of God. And his moral law code, which is a reflection of his character, is within all of mankind because we are created in the image of God. However, similarity in ethical codes does not mean that Christianity and Confucianism are identical. 
The key difference might be illustrated this way. Confucian law is summarized by the silver rule. Do not do to others what you would not want them to do to you. Jesus summarizes his teachings this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Confucius believed that in order to truly achieve the principles of Li, Chen, and the character of the true gentleman, one must look within oneself. Jesus takes his teachings a step further. All the principles revolve first around a relationship with God. And a relationship with God is first and foremost for every person. For these values and the moral code are a reflection of the very character of God. So when we know God through Jesus Christ, then God indwells each believer with his Holy Spirit who indwells and transforms our nature to reflect his and his Holy Spirit empowers us to live in obedience to God's command. Only then can we truly love our fellow men and live the righteous life that God has called us to. So Confucius taught a great ethical system with many values and virtues that we would agree with. But the question to ask is this, where do these values come from and how do we know they are right? Well, for the Christian, they come from God himself, the source of truth and life. And the moral code is based on the teachings and character of our God who is a morally just, righteous, holy, and good being. So that is the basis of our values and of our moral law. So for the Christian, living the righteous life and becoming a man of great and high moral character begins first with a relationship with God. Now let's take a look at the nature of man as taught by Confucius and compare that with the teachings of the Bible. Confucian philosophy is built on the foundational belief in the goodness of human nature. The Analect states, The Master said, Is goodness indeed so far away? If we really want goodness, we should find that it was at our side. Confucius further taught all individuals are capable of attaining the highest virtue. He stated, Has anyone ever managed to do good with his whole might even as long as the space of a single day? I think not. Yet I, for my part, have never seen anyone give up such an attempt because he had no strength to go on. In other words, all individuals are capable through self-effort to attain the ideal standard of goodness. Confucian disciple Mencius, who followed Confucius, further develops this, stating, Man's nature is naturally good, just as water naturally flows downward. This innate goodness could be developed and actualized through education, self-reflection, and self-discipline. Study in the six arts, which includes ceremony, music, archery, charioteering, writing, and mathematics would develop one's character. However, despite man being naturally good as Confucius believed, Confucius faced reality honestly. He questioned if it was possible to ever truly attain the level of the true gentleman. And Confucius stated, I for my part have never yet seen one who really cared for goodness, nor one who really abhorred wickedness. He said of himself, as to being a divine sage or even a good man, far be it from me to make any such claims. His disciple further stated, The master said, 
The ways of the true gentleman are three, but I myself have met with success in none of them. However, we must ask this question. If man by nature is good, and as Mencius stated, does good as naturally as water flows downstream, then why can we not attain what should be so natural to us, that ideal standard of goodness? Well, the Bible is built on a contrasting view of human nature. It teaches that man is created in the image of God and was originally good. However, because of the fall in Genesis 3, man is now sinful and in rebellion toward God. Therefore, his natural tendency is to disobey the commands of God and is driven to please himself. Paul states in Romans 7 of the struggle that each person has. He says, I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. As Confucius observed, no man is able to live up to the standards of the true gentleman. Or as the Bible teaches, no one can live up to God's commands because man's nature is sinful and in need of redemption and transformation. So Confucius thought man is basically good. The Bible teaches that man is a fallen being and therefore naturally sinful. And left unto himself, he will do what is the best in self-interest. So according to the Bible, good education is a positive forward step helping man change, but it stops short. And also, what are you teaching? You've got to be teaching truth based on the teachings of the author of truth, which would be God. Educated people without a good moral compass only leads to a more deviant kind of society. Now, all believers in Christ know the value of learning the Word of God. Transformation begins when our minds are transformed by the truths taught in God's Word. So for this reason, education has also been valued in Christian communities. But man is also in need of a heart transformation. Life transformation occurs when a person enters into a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. One's nature is transformed because God's Spirit then indwells an individual. Now, though the Christian is not capable of living out the principles of God's law flawlessly, he's not left to himself to live a holy life. God provides each one of us the indwelling of his Holy Spirit to enable man to live in obedience to God's law. So that is a key difference between the teachings of Confucius and that of the Bible. Confucius taught that man is basically good and does good naturally, Whereas the Bible teaches that man was created good, but he is a fallen being and therefore sinful in nature and in need of mind and heart transformation in order to live out the commands of God. Now, the next key area in the teachings of Confucius is that of relationships. Central to Confucius teachings is relationships and social roles. According to Confucius, there are five great relationships. Kindness in the Father and obedient devotion in the Son. Gentility in the eldest brother and humility and respect in the younger. Righteous behavior in the husband and obedience in the wife. Humane consideration in elders and deference in juniors. Benevolence in rulers and loyalty of ministers and subjects. If these attitudes are practiced, Confucius taught, there will be harmony in society and among all. The most important relationship, he stated, is the family the basic unit of all humanity. Now, consistent with the pantheistic worldview, he did not believe 
in an individual self or soul. One's role and relationships define a person. The goal of living is to achieve harmony through acting appropriately in those roles and relationships that you are in. And our family relationship is projected into the life of the community and the world. In the family unit, the father is the key figure. He must be a good example to his sons. It is the son's duty to obey without questioning and honoring his father, even after the death of his father. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and of course, your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.